We are studying Romans chapter 8 today. The, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 is one of the anchor sections, not just of the New Testament, but of the entire Bible. And if you get this section of Romans just tucked right in the middle of the book of Romans here, you get the Christian life. Uh, so we're really privileged to have this section in front of us today, and I'm excited to preach on it. So I'm going to read from Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. This is projected. It's in the worship folder. If you're listening online, you can follow it in your own Bible, too, or just listen along. It's pretty packed full, so I'm going to go slowly, and then we'll unpack it in the sermon. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. I want to introduce you to, some of you know them already, uh, but I have two remarkable sons who are remarkably gifted young men. But they're remarkably different from each other. So my older son is gifted at being orderly and arranged. Right? When he parks his car in the garage, he wants it straight. And he can get it straight without even trying. He has a love for justice and for doing things right and for rules. And that makes him a good police officer. And he's a good one. He's a great police officer. Um, I have a picture here of, uh, not of him and he is little, but of, of his toys, of his cars and trucks, and there might be some boats in there. And if you look carefully, um, those are, they're all lined up in a little train, right? You see that? That's how he would play. He didn't take them and crash them into each other and throw them over the wall. And uh, He would line them up very orderly right in front of each other. That's my older son. My younger son is gifted at being our free spirit. He's not so much into orderliness and things being arranged, but he loves people and he's, a, he's the most likable guy on the planet. Everyone who meets him likes him. 
and he is, he is a, a gifted salesperson, and, and not, not to pull the wool over your eyes, but he's just good at helping people figure out what they need. He would make more tips working at Starbucks than all of the other baristas combined every day. Uh, he's good at that. So that's, that's how they're gifted. Now, here's what happens. Uh, they have to, that power of how they're designed by nature and how they're designed by God, they have to filter that. So, my older son, who's gifted at being orderly and arranged and loving rules, he has to now deal with people in his police work who, who don't always behave. And they may not actually be breaking the law, but they'll be misbehaving. He has to filter his strong desire for them to behave with the fact that they're not behaving and figure out how he's going to treat them respectfully and professionally as a professional. If he doesn't filter that desire, he's going to lose it on him. My younger son has to filter his free spirit nature. Basically, he needs, he needs a budget. And he has to learn to follow it. And he has, right, he has to filter himself. He has great gifts for uh, having fun and great fun experiences. His, his car parked in the garage, doesn't matter if it's straight or not, but if it has those, those silver alloy wheels and a kicking stereo in it, and right, and it sounds great, but he's got to take his gift and he's got to funnel it and focus it. All of us have amazing gifts from God to do something and do something well. Maybe, you, maybe you're gifted at crunching numbers. You look at a spreadsheet and go, wow! And everybody else looks at it and goes, whoa. Maybe you're a gifted musician. You're an artist of some kind. You sing, you dance, you play, you make music. Maybe you, you have the personality of an extrovert and you, and you can walk in the room and you light it up. But here's the challenge. Right? All of us have to be able to filter our because we look we we view the world through who we are and through our strengths. So let's say that both an extrovert and an introvert are going to a party. They're going to a social engagement in the evening, right? How do those two different people think about that event differently? Right? An introvert is thinking about that. Man, I'd really just rather stay home and watch a documentary on YouTube. Um, but I'm going to go because it's, it's important. I'm, I'm going to do it for my friend, for, for this group, for my family. I'll, I'll go. And when they go, they, they enjoy it, but only for a while. Give, them, give an introvert 60 to 90 minutes, and they're ready to check out of that party. And they, they might find a seat somewhere in the corner or watch, watch the TV. Or, so they, they'll, they, they won't be as engaged. They'll be ready to go home, go to bed early, go, go home, watch the news. And, and they don't understand the extrovert who just wants to go and let loose and hang out with friends and have a good time and stay there late. We don't, I don't care if I have to get up the next morning. Maybe I won't. That's the extrovert. We're going to go have a good time. The introvert has, looks at that and says, you're crazy. And the extrovert looks at that and says... You're boring. And we look at the world through how we're gifted. If we don't filter that, that's going to come back and bite us. Especially in ongoing, 
deep relationships like marriage. If I don't filter how I think and my spouse acts differently than I do over a long period of time, it's going to build up resentment and it's going to poison that relationship. I'll be constantly asking, why do you always, why can't you ever, with no satisfactory answer, whether it's true of your roommate or your close family, your siblings, I'm not filtering how I look at the world. And, that's, and guess what? The devil knows this. The devil knows that each of you are gifted by God in a very strong way and that by nature you operate in this way and he's going to use that against you so that you don't see it. You're operating in your strength with your gift and you don't understand that the devil is using that to poison relationships, to hurt your relationship with other people, with yourself, and with God. So gifts are great. We all have them. Strengths are from God. They're a good thing. But when we don't manage them, when we don't filter them, it's like a superpower put into the hands of the evil villain. And bad stuff happens. So, the Christian life, Romans 5 and 6 and 7 and now 8, the Christian life, uh, these, these chapters are all about it, and they're about nature and the power of what's in us by nature. And they talk about two natures that, that we have, two parts of us, and they battle against each other. So it's a myth that the Christian life of discipleship never involves struggle, that it does not involve struggle. That, it, that Even when people have been Christians for years, I find them thinking, this is supposed to be easy. And the Bible never says that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the opposite. Jesus says the opposite. So, Ben, I hope at Chick-fil-A, when you, you, know, when you confess your faith and you, you told Mr. White that you love Jesus and that you believe in Jesus, I hope he said, Dude, you're crazy. It's going to be a hard life. There's some tough stuff coming your way. Are you sure you want to do this? I hope he said something like that and didn't just say, Oh, everything's going to be great. Or at least something close to that. The Christian life, according to Romans, does involve struggle. So we have two, we have two natures in us. By default, you're born with what the Romans calls the flesh or the sin nature. When you become a Christian, when you come to faith, or we, even when you're baptized as a little baby... The Bible says you're born again, so you take on a, another nature. And that's the new self, sometimes called the new Adam versus the old Adam, or the new you or the spirit life. All those words describe the new you. And then they go at it. This is not like an upgrade where you had the, the flesh nature when you were born, and then you upgraded, you updated to the new one, and that old one went away, and that you have only one new operating system, you have two operating systems in you as a believer, and they're constantly battling and fighting. That's the struggle in the Christian's life of discipleship that Romans addresses. And it makes you ask things like this. Why can't I stop sinning? Why can't I just get over my weakness once and for all and be done with it? 
Why do I always do those things that I don't want to do? Why do I let people down? Oh, I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? And I did it again. Those kind of things are what we say and ask because of this struggle in us. We ask those questions. Romans 8 has answers for us and, and uh, it's something very important because it encourages us in the struggle. It doesn't say, ah, I'm so sorry life is difficult as a believer. Let's make it easier for you. doesn't say that. It says, yeah, life is difficult. In this world you will have trouble, Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Romans 8 now says, yes, there's a struggle, but yes, you can get over that sin. Yes, you can live the life that God wants you to live. You can be a better version of you. Yes, you can do it. Yes, you can stop that sin. And here's how. God says no to sin before you do in two ways. Here in Romans 8, in two ways. Number one, God says no to sin's curse. And number two, God says no to sin's control in your life. Very powerful for how you live the struggle. So I just wrapped, I just summed up Romans chapters 6 and 7. And now that gets us to the point here of Romans chapter 8 where we're asking those good questions. Um, so what are you thinking right now? As we approach Romans 8, you heard the summary, and then I kind of just summed up Romans 8 by saying God says no to sin before you do. Maybe you're saying, I, I don't, I'm not sure what to think. Because of my past history, I've heard this thing before, you know, about conquering sin, about getting over it, improving my life. I've heard these things, and I still am who I am. I still mess up. I still sin way too much, and it gets me in trouble. I, I, I'm not sure where, where this is going, how it can work. I don't know if I'm capable of conquering sin. Those are great questions. And I love them. Romans 8 is for the workaholic dad who can't get away from the buzz of the business world and pay attention to his spouse, his family, like he knows he needs to. Romans, Romans 8 is for the over-busy mom whose identity is fragmented by Frantic, running around to piano lessons and doing the laundry and packing lunches and making sure that you're cleaning up after the dog when he makes a mess in the morning while everyone's getting ready for school and dealing with the ant infestation in the pantry. Romans 8 is for the young adult, the student who's, who's pulled in two directions, friends, faith, and it feels like it's ripping you apart. Romans 8 is for the addict, for the one who's trapped in sin and shame and they can't get out and it's their secret and they don't want anyone to know it, but God does and they know that. Romans 8 is for any believer, any Christian. Romans 8 is for Ben Sparks, 
all of us who want to be a follower of Jesus and want to be who Jesus wants us to be. We want to become a better version of ourselves. And Romans 8 says, yes. Yes, you can. Yes, this is you. Because God says no, no to our sin in two big ways. I want to start out by going through the verses and uh, start out by verses 5 and 6. We'll do some intro thoughts and then we'll, we'll kind of go verse by verse through it. So if you have your Bible, your Bible app, I'll shoot these verses up here on the screen too uh, and you'll see them. If you're watching at home, you'll have to look at that on your own. The, the believer has a heart that is just a constant battleground. It's all the time. It's a constant battleground between the flesh sin nature, the bad one, the evil one, and the new spirit life, the good one. They're constantly in conflict with each other. So look at these verses 5 and 6. And here in Romans 8 says this, and pay attention to hear where the effects. It talks about the effects of both those natures as they're practiced. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. That makes sense. The mind governed by the flesh is death. There's the effect. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. There's the effect. So, here's how this works. The sin is going to play tricks on your mind. So that when your mind thinks about doing what sin wants you to do, you don't think about the effect or the outcome or the consequence. If you do, you minimize it, you rationalize it, and you, and you shove it away. You, you, you get out of here. I don't want to think about you. When sin comes to you and says, I, I want you to do what I want you to do, you, you think how fun that is. You think how, how you need that. You think how that's, a, that's something that everyone else is doing, and you're supposed to do it too, even though you know it's wrong. You do it because sin lies to you. It tricks you in that way. When, the, when your new self has you thinking about sin, all right, and, and what, how you want to please God, your new self does have you think about the effect of the consequence. It does make you think, I want to please God. I, I want God's peace that I know I can't find in this world. And I, I'm going to do what it takes to get it. I, I'm, how do I find that outcome, that effect, that consequence? See how they think differently. And then here's how, this, here's how sin will really trip you up. Sin will take something that sin knows your new self likes. That's God's law. That's what God's will, what he wants you to do. And, and sin will take God's law and sin will hold it up in front of you something that your, your new self likes and say, hey, look at this, buddy. You, like, a, like your boss holding up the project timeline that you didn't make because there were various stumbles along the way and you didn't make the deadline. And your boss coming in and, and, right, and showing it to you, this is what sin does. says, look at this. God says you were supposed to do this and this and this and you didn't do them. You... God's going to get you for that. That's how sin operates in your mind. Uh, so, look at these verses here in verses 7 and 8. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. 
So this, like this evil twin is always with you like a shadow. Always harassing you. Always haunting you with guilt and shame. Always playing tricks on your mind so that you want to do what it wants you to do. Wow, how, how do we deal with this? How do you get over it? You can't just walk away from it. You can even go and become a monk and live in a monastery and it will follow you there. We can't get away from sin's presence and power in our lives except for this. Except for God saying no to sin before we do. So here it begins in verses 1 and 2. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Huge verse. This should be in your top five verses for memorizing and having with you all the time. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's talking about using the word law here not in the sense of God's will, like the Ten Commandments, but in the sense of uh, operating controls, like an operating system. All right, Operating principles. This is how it works. It's saying that there's operating principles of the flesh nature and there's operating principles of the new self that's created in you when you're a Christian. They have two different operating principles. There's no condemnation for those then who are in the law of the spirit of life. Sin cannot shove in your face the law and say, you didn't keep it, therefore God curse you. You didn't keep it, therefore you are in trouble with God. He's going to get you. Sin can say that all at once, but it's not going to happen. There is no condemnation, the Bible promises. That means no curse. Or, to put it this way, nothing punished. For the believer in Christ, your baptism promises you that nothing, when it comes to sin, will ever be punished by God in your life. No mistake will be punished. No bad decision will, will be punished by God. No curse no condemnation. It's right there in print in the Bible. No condemnation. And not only that, but this, uh, this lack of condemnation, no punishment. He goes on, verses 3 and 4. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin. Right? It doesn't say he condemned you. It says he doesn't condemn you. Instead, he condemned your sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. See, there's requirements of God, and it says you meet them. You meet them because sin was condemned. It's not that God never punishes sin. He actually, because he's a God of justice, has to punish sin. But, he, but this is saying he already did. There's a sentence of death to sin, and this in Romans says that Jesus came and, 
and sentenced himself and, and experienced his own justice and took the punishment of sin when he suffered and died on the cross. He took that punishment in your place. Then he gives you something in return. He gives you the righteous requirements that God says you should keep and they're yours. That's what it means when it says the righteous requirement of the law has been met fully in us. So imagine this scene. Imagine the, the parents of a 14-year-old are headed out for a, for a week. And they leave the 14-year-old in charge of the house. And they say, we're going to be gone for the week. We trust you in charge of the house. And we just want, want you to understand that while we're gone, here's the rule that's in effect. It's the no-punished rule. And this rule says this. Whatever you do, however many friends you have over, how often you do it, what, whatever happens, we are not going to punish you for it. There will be no discipline, no punishment whatsoever. There will not be an accountability of punishment or discipline for anything you do. Have a great time, honey. We're leaving. Goodbye. What do you think would happen? I, I don't know if any parent in their right mind would say that. I never did. That's just something in our, in our earthly life that just sounds crazy. You, you just don't do that. But that's what God is saying to you. He is saying, you, you go do what you want, it will not be punished. You as my child, you as a believer in Jesus, you do what you want. No, it says it right here. No, pun, nothing punished. See, now the, the, sin na- the flesh nature in you is thinking, ha, 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 all right. But God knows that's not the operating system in you that's dominant. That's not the operating system in you that you truly love and want to be in charge. God knows that. He says no to sin's curse, and now... He can say that because he says no to sin's control as well. So look at verses 8 through 10. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Man, when I read those verses... There's this one word in there that really sticks out to me. It's, it's the biggest one, but it's the smallest one. When I read those verses, there's one word that just everything else hinges on it. And I, think, I, I look at it and, and ask, hmm. It's the word if. There's all this good stuff in those verses. And then it says, yeah, 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 that's yours. If. And so I have to ask, huh, if, if the Spirit of God is in me, then all that is true, but is the Spirit of God in me? That's the question that you might be asking when you look at these verses too. Is the Spirit of God in me? Let me tell you how to answer that question. It's the same answer as your answer to this question. 
Do you struggle with sin? If you answer yes to that question, then you know the Spirit of God lives in you, otherwise there wouldn't be a struggle. Otherwise there wouldn't be anyone fighting that flesh nature, and it would just have total ownership of you. But if you struggle with sin, if you ever feel guilty, if you ever feel ashamed, if you ever feel good that you said no to temptation, you're in that daily battle. If that's true of you, then you know the Spirit of God lives in you. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, look at all of this that's true. All these promises of God in Romans chapter 8 are true for you. And you do not live in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, because Jesus Christ is in you. And when Jesus Christ is in you, who has already said no to sin's curse, he has suffered for it, but then he rose from the dead, and the resurrected power of Jesus also says no to sin's power and control. No, you cannot have. There's nothing when it comes to sin that, that's in control. Nothing when it comes to sin that is master. God says to your sin, even before you have a chance to respond, no, you cannot control this child of God. You cannot tell them what to do. No. That's what gives you the power to say no to sin too. God says no to your sins before you do. No to their curse, no to their control. I am... Uh, relatively new to the world of international travel. Um, I've taken two international trips in the last three years. Uh, it's kind of intimidating, kind of fun at the same time. I had to get a passport. I got a passport. I got a professional picture. I submitted that. Like, everything you're supposed to do, I got it back. It worked. It got, got me to places in East Asia. Um, and I'm here. I returned safely. But uh, before my recent trip... My passport company that made it for me, that travel company, sent out a warning. And they said, uh, there's countries in East Asia that are cracking down on passport photos that are too dark. If they can't see the color of your eyes in your passport photo, you may be detained. And that's something I don't look forward to happening in a foreign country. Um, so I contacted them and I said, I don't think I have a very good passport picture. And I sent it to them. They kind of said, yeah, it's not the best. Uh, but if you go, there's a whole process of, unless you know better, you tell me after the service, renewing your passport is, you lose some privileges, some validity on it. There's something they basically say, don't do it. Don't, people change all the time. They, they lose 20 pounds. They get bald. You know, they, don't worry about it. That's, people keep passports. Don't worry. It'll be fine. And I'm just thinking, oh. Uh, the, the warning had pictures just like mine on it that said, don't travel with this picture. <laughs> It, am I going to be traveling somewhere in some country that I want to visit, but I'd really like to come home, and they're not going to let me leave in between now and 2025 when it expires? Uh, I, I'm, I'm concerned I may not be able to prove my identity. That's what you have a passport for. I may not be able to prove my identity. Romans chapter 8 tells you this, that your your ability to, to say no to sin is wrapped up in your identity. But your identity gives you ability. 
But here's the, here's the thing. Your, your identity, you don't have to prove it. You, ben, you don't have to carry around your baptism certificate and, and show it to everybody and show it to God and paste it on your chest. Okay? We, you, we don't have to prove our identity to anyone. Our new identity of who we are in Christ. We don't, it's already proven. It's already given. There's this wonderful verse in Galatians 3, right? In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. When Ben was baptized here today, when you were baptized, the water came, and with that came the Spirit of Christ and his clothing of righteousness. And it is put on you, and you don't have to prove it to anyone. It's already you. You don't need people's approval. You don't need to prove something to yourself. It's given to you in Christ so that you have Christ in you. And now, God says no to your sin and yes to you so that you say no to sin and yes to God. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God for these powerful words from Romans. They're powerful because they're so heavy, so meaty, so full of divine truth. They're powerful because they're meaningful to us. We read them and we find ourselves nodding our heads and opening our hearts and saying, this is talking about me. We look at our past and we see how we failed and we know we need something, we need someone. Lord, we need you. By the power of our baptism and the power of your own resurrection from the dead, lead everyone here today to go home, to spend this week at work, at home, in the classroom, as a new person, created by, the, by, by your powerful gospel, as a new person who believes that you have already dealt with their sins and that sins have no curse over them and no control over them, as people who love you and are ready to say yes. Amen.